You're listening to Plug Into Health with Prevea Health, exploring healthcare topics that matter to you, the latest developments in health and medicine, and the inspiring stories that emerge from Prevea Health, our partners, and the communities we serve. Welcome to Plug Into Health. I'm your host, Angela Dea. Heart disease is the leading cause of death and disability in Wisconsin, and the majority of those deaths are caused by heart attack and stroke. Now, most of us have general knowledge about what a heart attack is and have likely even had a loved one affected by it. But how much do we really know about heart attack? For instance, what is actually happening to our bodies when we're experiencing a heart attack? Why does it happen? How are doctors and hospitals prepared to help us? And is there anything we can do to prevent a heart attack? As an interventional cardiologist, Dr. Todd Fergus is on the front lines of heart disease and sees the impact heart attacks have on people and their families every day. Dr. Fergus, welcome. Thank you for having me. Can you explain what it means to be an interventional cardiologist? So an interventional cardiologist is a cardiologist who specializes in invasively treating coronary disease and valvular disease and structural heart disease. So in addition to the usual treatments that a general cardiologist would perform, such as uh, imaging tests and medical therapy for various heart diseases, an interventional cardiologist will also do the invasive procedures, such as putting in stents in a blocked artery or replacing a diseased heart valve. And how long have you been practicing? I've been in practice for almost 12 years. And your dad is a cardiologist at Prevea Health as well. Did he inspire the journey you're on today? I'm sure he did, although some of that may have been subliminal. I certainly did not intend on being a cardiologist my whole life. I actually wanted to be a sports medicine physician. And once I went to medical school and did all the rotations and the education, I found that for some reason I was just good at the cardiology sections of the training. Um, and there actually was a professor who, after the one of the cardiology exams, gave me a, a special book and said, hey, you finished top two in the class, I believe, and said, I just want to give you this book to inspire you to keep going with this. And I think that really did inspire me. It showed me that I would, maybe had a, a knack for this specialty, and it turned out not only was I good at it, but I really liked it. So I switched from sports medicine pretty early on and, and went on to cardiology. And with my father being a cardiologist, it, I'm sure he was happy and really looked forward to being able to work with me someday. Not that he ever pushed me into it, but I think it, it worked out great for both of us. And for many people in our community, <laughs> for um, you know all the people that you care for, let's start with what it means to have a heart attack. What is actually happening inside of our bodies when we're having a heart attack? So heart attacks are generally caused by blockages in the coronary arteries. The coronary arteries are the blood vessels, the arteries that supply blood to the heart muscle itself. The heart muscle needs blood supply, needs oxygen supply in order to function and squeeze 60 or 70 times a minute. And if there are blockages in those arteries, it restricts blood flow to the heart muscle. And if those blockages become severe enough, then it actually can cause heart muscle damage. And when there's damage to the heart muscle, that's what we call a myocardial infarction, or in layman's terms, a heart attack. So what's actually causing 
those arteries to become blocked? How, how does that situation even begin to occur or why? It actually begins in our teenage years, and it's basically the result of cholesterol plaque buildup in the arteries. And they've done autopsies on 16, 18-year-olds and can see what they call fatty streaks or the very beginnings of cholesterol plaque building up in the arteries. And if we have certain risk factors, certain things that make that plaque build up uh, more rapid, then you can develop very severe blockages. And once that becomes 90, 99% or even 100% blocked, then that's when heart damage will start to occur. Okay. So you talk about this this plaque buildup. Um, what is that coming from? Is that from our diet? Is it from genetics? All of the above. There are what we call risk factors for coronary disease. So that could be a poor diet. Uh, oftentimes it is genetics, uh, diabetes, smoking, sedentary lifestyle, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. Those are all of what we would call risk factors for coronary artery disease. What are the symptoms for heart attack? And are they different between men and women? So the traditional symptom, and if you look up heart attack on Google or do an image search, you'll see generally a middle-aged man clutching his chest and you know, complaining of the tightness in his chest radiating into his left arm and his neck. And th- yes, that, that would be a textbook symptom of a heart attack, but many people's bodies don't read the textbook, and they have what we call atypical symptoms or more unusual symptoms. It might be more of a shortness of breath. It might be more of a fatigue. It might be dizziness or passing out. But the, generally, the most common symptom would be some, some degree of chest pain, whether it's a chest pressure, chest burning, chest squeezing, something of that nature. I may have read that maybe women sometimes have different symptoms. Is that the case? That's true. Uh, if we're looking at uh, the typical symptoms of a heart attack, more men will have a typical presentation than women. But in reality, both men and women can both have somewhat atypical presentations. Very few people present with absolutely classic textbook symptoms. Most people will have some variation on, a, on the theme, and that, that can be men, can be women. And I know this seems like an obvious question, but just to be clear, if you suspect that maybe you're having a heart attack, best thing to do, is that to call 911? Yes. If someone thinks they're having a heart attack, they should get to the hospital right away and they should not drive themselves. Um, Not that we want every patient that has a little heartburn to run to the ER, but generally people know when something's wrong. Mm -hmm. And if, if it's if it's sudden, if it's severe, if it's if it's causing that panic button to go off in your head, then yes, you should dial 911 and get checked out. And there are actually different types of heart attack, right? That's true. Yeah, heart attacks are on a on a spectrum. Um, the very worst type of heart attack would be what we call a STEMI, and that stands for ST segment elevation MI. So that's a particular pattern that we look for on the EKG. And if a patient has that pattern, it usually means that an artery is 100% blocked. So obviously that's the worst situation to have uh, because for every minute that goes by that that artery is 100% blocked, there's no blood flow getting to the heart muscle and damage is occurring. So when we see someone who's having a STEMI, uh, we move quickly and we want to get that artery open as quickly as possible to save the heart muscle as as much as possible. There's also what we call non-STEMIs, which is basically 
a not a STEMI. So it's someone having a heart attack, but they don't have those ST elevations on the EKG. Uh, so they may have a 99% blockage. They may have a 90% blockage. It still is very important to get that corrected before the artery closes off completely, but the urgency isn't quite as bad. So say someone is having a heart attack. They're brought to the hospital where you're working or you're on call. Can you walk our listeners through what you and your team need to do to care for that patient? Let's start with the STEMIs. Those are obviously the most uh, critical ones where we know the artery is 100% blocked and time is muscle. So the care starts, well, the care starts pre-hospital with the emergency uh, medical services. They oftentimes will start some medications. They may give aspirin. They may give pain medications, get the patients calm, uh, start some oxygen, bring them into the hospital. They oftentimes will activate the hospital system before they arrive, which is great because it generally will take uh, a hospital team 10 or 15 minutes to get to the hospital. So if we get a warning before the patient's there, oftentimes we can meet them at the same time. We, uh, everyone arrives at the same time. Once they get to the hospital, we start some additional medications. Do um, uh, At that point, we would generally do the EKG to see if it's a STEMI or not. Um, and if it is a STEMI, we mobilize and get the patient up to the cath lab right away, which is where we can do the procedure to get the artery open. What's the mood like among the team as you're all working very rapidly, I'm sure? Uh, as you can imagine, um, anxiety levels can be kind of high, uh, not only in the, the patient, but also in the care providers. But I think as a team, we've done this so many times, and it's nothing is, I, I hate to use the word routine, mm -hmm. but it's as routine as it can get. Uh, and I, I try to make sure that everyone is staying calm and professional because if people start yelling at each other to do things or, you know, go, 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 acting all, all wild and crazy, then I think that will raise the anxiety level in the patients. So uh, my goal is just to stay calm, do what we're trained to do, and do it like we've done it hundreds of times before. And how do you help keep the patient calm, you know, if possible, if, if they're conscious? And we do have medications that we can use to help people calm down. But for the most part, I think we just act like it's very routine. Um, oftentimes, patients don't even know what we're doing. I, I could have the catheter in their body and taking care of their heart and fixing their blockage. And uh, halfway through, they may ask me if I've even started yet. Um, and this is good and bad in that it's good in that it's very easy for the patients and um, we keep them calm and relaxed. And the only bad thing is we almost make it too easy. So uh, once they're, once we're all done, they say, well, can I go home now? And I have to remind them, um, no, you, you, you had a heart attack. This is a big deal. They, they just, we've, we've come so far in treating heart attacks that it just doesn't seem as big of a deal to patients anymore, as, or at least as not as much as it used to. What about families? Um, they have to be pretty frightened when they see a loved one um, who's had a heart attack. What, how, how, do you, how do you walk them through what their loved one is experiencing? Well, oftentimes we're moving very quickly before the procedure in order to, to get the heart fixed as quickly as possible. So most of the discussions are happening after the procedure when we give them uh, usually the good news that the, the, 
the coronary artery is fixed. Usually there's minimal to hopefully no minimal to no heart damage. And a lot of the time is spent discussing um, where we go from here and how we can prevent this from happening again. Because luckily in 2020, we have we have many treatments that will help prevent recurrent heart attacks from happening down the road. We stated earlier that heart disease is the leading cause of death and disability in Wisconsin, the majority of those deaths resulting from heart attack and stroke. Here in the Green Bay region, our HSHS hospital partners, St. Vincent and St. Mary's, uh, where you work, Dr. Fergus, they saw a total of 94 cases of STEMI heart attacks in 2019 alone, and that's nearly twice the amount of cases we saw the year prior in 2018. That's a lot of lives impacted. Uh, That is a lot. Uh, Those are 94 people who probably would not have survived uh, if they hadn't received prompt care for that STEMI. Um, And while 94 may seem like a big number, the number of non-STEMIs is probably five times that, so probably 500 people with other heart attacks that we've treated in our cath labs who probably would have turned into a STEMI if they weren't treated promptly. Um, And then in addition to those non-STEMIs, we have another several hundred patients who have what we call stable coronary disease um, that are getting treated uh, in our hospitals as well. So what can we be doing as individuals to protect ourselves from heart attack and heart disease in general? Well, the the major things are to address those risk factors that we talked about before. So if someone's a smoker, it's important to quit. If someone's a diabetic, it's important to get control of that. If someone has high cholesterol, it's very important to treat that. Uh, Some risk factors we cannot control. We cannot control our age. We cannot control our genetics but pretty much everything else is under our control. Um, And in addition to treating those medical problems like diabetes and high blood pressure, lifestyle measures are very important as well. So that means eating a healthy diet and getting regular exercise at least 30 minutes a day. Uh, The general recommendation for fitness is to get 150 minutes of aerobic exercise a week. And that, that actually has been shown to reduce the risk of heart attack by about a third. And I want to talk more about diet because it seems like one day we might hear that a certain food is really good for us and we should be eating a lot of it. And then the next year we hear, oh, nope, we shouldn't be eating that. What should we be eating? And I want to hear it from you, the heart doctor himself. Diet is probably the hardest thing to counsel because like you said, it is, it is a moving target. So one day eggs are good for you. The next day eggs are bad for you. And then there's certain fad diets that seem like a good idea one year. And then the next year articles come out and show that maybe it isn't so good for you. Um, There is one diet that's been proven to reduce cardiovascular risk, and that's the Mediterranean diet. So it's a diet that's rich in fruits and vegetables, and it focuses more on the good fats, the types of fats we find in avocados and nuts and olive oil. Uh, as well as some lean meats like chicken and fish. Um, It can be very difficult to follow a recipe book or, or, or something strict like that. So my general advice to people is the do what your mom told you diet. Uh, your mom told you to eat your fruits and vegetables. Uh, don't eat a lot of fast food. Um, 
and uh, try to avoid excessive sweets. So I, I think just good common sense. We, we all kind of know what's good for you. And uh, if your diet is, is largely plant-based and avoid excessive sweets and fried foods, then, then we'll be okay. Do you find that you know, after a patient has experienced a heart attack, that they become a little bit more woke, so to speak, <laughs> to the importance of, of, of a healthy lifestyle, or sometimes not? I'd like to say that they all get woke, um, and most of them do for a period of time. Um, but as, as time goes on and the memory of the uh, life threatening event uh, is further in the in the rears and you know some of the old habits creep back in and that's why it's so important that these patients do follow up with us we generally see our heart patients every six months at the beginning and then once things are stable it might it might go down to every year uh, just to keep track of them and make sure that they're staying with the program what about people who, you know, they may not have had a heart attack, but maybe they're listening. And, you know, I think sometimes we as humans tend to think, well, that's never going to happen to me. Um, and you kind of just keep going through life, right? But you see firsthand how devastating heart attack can be. We really need to be putting our health at the forefront. Right. And you mentioned it at the beginning, cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability in this country. And um, it's sad to say it, but if we're lucky enough to avoid cancer, we're all going to have heart disease someday. Um, so it is important to be preventative as well. So all of the things we talked about, like smoking cessation, diabetic control, cholesterol control, while that is extremely important for uh, cardiac patients, it's also very important for all of us, uh, because none of us want to have heart disease in the future. And if we can do something to prevent it, then obviously that's a good, a good idea. So, you know, we all should be trying to lead the health, healthy lifestyle and take care of our risk factors as much as we can so we don't have a first cardiac event. Dr. Fergus, thank you for your time and expertise today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And to our listeners, we have numerous wellness resources dedicated to heart health on our website, Provea.com. Just click on the For Patients tab on the homepage, select Resources, and then select Heart Care from the list of medical services on the right-hand side. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Plug Into Health with Provea Health. To learn more and to submit ideas for future shows, please visit purveya.com slash podcast. And please remember, the information provided in this podcast does not constitute medical advice. It is not intended to replace interactions with your healthcare professional. And if you are concerned about your healthcare, you should consult with your healthcare professional. You can learn more about Purveya Health at purveya.com. Thank you for choosing to plug into health with Provea Health.